Welcome to another hour of Flames Talk. Let's get things going from the Scotiabank Saddledome on this Thursday, February 22nd with Aaron Vickers of NHL.com. It's Pat Steinberg along with you on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Vix. Hello, Patrick. How are we doing today? I'm doing well. How are good, you doing? Good. Um, tippy top. How about that? Yeah, I like that. Makes one of us. <laughs> um, not to rub it in. Hey, I'm just, I, you know what? I live vicariously through you, so it's not That's even a sad for you. single, well, it's better than what I live, so uh, a single no ounce of jealousy. Here, no argument here. Um, <laughs> yeah, all right. You know. You know. Um, hey, I think we know, I think we know at this point, if the Flames are going to be on, we know what that's going to look like. And as they get set to host the Boston Bruins Thursday night here at the Dome, I think when we, we, we have a pretty good idea of how the Flames need to be successful, what that recipe looks like, how they need to execute it. The only thing that we don't know is the consistency level they're going to go out and do that by. And, and so it's a four-line team. It's a team that gets contributions from all six defensemen. It, it obviously gets great goaltending. But... The strength of this team is their depth. The strength of their team is the ability to maybe outmatch you further down the lineup, whereas, you know, other teams like Boston, like Edmonton, the next two opponents for the teams are able to outmatch you with their top talent, but where you get the potential pushback is further down your lineup and being able to keep coming at teams in waves. And we've seen that more often than not over the last little while here since the All-Star break. You can only look at two games where that really hasn't been the case, the San Jose and Detroit losses. Otherwise, in the four wins and the one loss to the Rangers, they've done a pretty good job of doing that. So it, it brings me to a question that I wanted to get into to kick off this hour on the program. Got into this, I want to say a couple weeks ago, it was Wes in for the week, and Wes, Derek, and I got into this on, on the round table. Like full fisticuffs? Yeah, yeah. Like uh, Wes, okay. Wes brought a chain. Derek, See, he more strikes me as hitting you with a steel chair. Derek brought a brick. Oh. It was it was really – I just came bare knuckles. Um, we, we, we kicked this one around on the round table a few weeks ago, and I asked the question, who is the team's number one line? And I want to get into that again because it is a really interesting topic for me. Who is this team's number one line? Is there even an actual answer to that question? And, and I say that because the lines, especially the way that we're expecting them to go against Boston, the, the top three lines have kind of normalized here. And I know there's been some mixing and matching and juggling, but for the most part, it's been Huberdo, Sharon Govich, and Kuzmenko since the All-Star break. It's um, been the line of Backlund with Coleman and Mangiapane, and, and obviously we know it's it's been the Kadri line. Who is the number one line for you? It's a very interesting question. When you wanted to have a conversation about this, I, I started doing maybe just a little bit of digging and 
to be perfectly honest with you off the hop going, this is a team that's going to win with its depth. I think you have three lines that are to a degree equally effective between the Backlund line, the Sharon Govich line, the Kadri line. And I'll just use the centers in naming the lines. No disrespect to the wingers. That's just usually how it rolls. And for me, any one of them can be their quote-unquote best line on any given night. But getting into the conversation of, okay, well, who is the de facto number one line? What separates them for me is how they're used or how they're deployed. And typically the backland line is going to draw the opponent's number one line. They'll be out against David Pasternak. I don't think there's any question with Ryan Huska having the home change. So the backland line always gets the toughest matchups. They get plastered with defensive zone starts. They're the ones that are tasked with moving the puck 200 feet from their own zone to the offensive zone. The cadre line is somewhere kind of mixed in the middle. And then you have the Sharon Govich line, which we've seen. They've gotten the bulk of the offensive zone starts. So they're the line that Huska is relying on to carry the load offensively. Now, having said all that, and I'll reiterate, any one of them can be Calgary's best line on any given night. But if we're talking about the de facto number one, I'm giving it to the Sharon Govich trio. Okay. So, and it's it's so fascinating to me because I don't think you're wrong, but I don't think you're right. And and appreciate it. That that it's it's when I look at it, I I and the reason I asked the question is because I was going to I was going to ask Ryan Huska about it on the coach's show for Thursday's pregame show and before that, um the the coach always meets with the two rights holders like the the sometimes the away group but always the home television broadcast and always the home radio broadcast. So he was in here a little earlier on Thursday and talking to Rick and Ryan and Kelly and Eric and and Mick Derrick and I and or Mick Derrick and me is the correct correct um, and, and so Eric asked him the same question I'm like well you have a really good answer so I won't ask him on the coaches show but basically what he said was we don't have one and he juggles up his depth chart yeah you know the, so so internally they have a depth chart right they put it up on a screen they tape it up on the wall and that's the way they skate that day the way they roll through their lines is how the depth chart reads and sometimes it's the cadre line on top sometimes it's the backland line on top sometimes it's the sharon govich line on top you know uh going through yet yeah, like for instance practice on wednesday it was the cadre line that was on top if you watched in practice before that it was the backland line and so i asked the question not because I, I think there is a right answer i think there's the most important line or the most used line but i don't think they have a number one line at this point i think we're talking about a team that needs to be the type of team that doesn't have an answer. That they need to, for them to have success, there can't be a clear number one line. I will concede to you the fact that I don't think they have a true number one line. They don't have a dynamic offensive center of the McKinnon, McDavid, so on and so forth mold. But here's the fun part for me is every game day morning, for the most part, I'm in the visitor's locker room as well, and they have a dry erase board yep. that has them listed. Yep. And more often than not, and this is a smaller sample size because Sharon, or uh, pardon me, Kuzmeko hasn't been here for a plethora of home games, but even going before that, typically the line with Huberto and Sharon Govich is listed first. Now, granted, that was with Elias Lindholm primarily, and that was the thought of top line from the opposition coming in when they would 
plaster up the uh, projected lineup for the opposition on their dry erase board. But to your point, yeah, do they have a number one line that will go head-to-head against a McDavid line, a McKinnon line, so on and so forth as you go around the league and go and look at the elite centers and the elite true de facto number one top lines? Um, For the sake of this, I would go the Sharon Govich line, but if we're having the discussion of which line, if you even switch the conversation to which line is the most effective line, I might have a different answer based on that metric as well. So the the, the, the fascinating part is that you've got the um, you've got the backland line, which typically gets the most minutes, and five on five, they're the line that usually gets gets played the most together in any given night. Sometimes it's a large spread, sometimes it's pretty small, but usually, especially since the All-Star break, the backland line has been the most used line minutes-wise. Um, the Sharon Govich line is put m- in most of the offensive situations, and the Kadri line is, as you mentioned, somewhere in the middle, and since the All-Star break has taken on a little bit more responsibility in the two-way game or a little bit more responsibility in the defensive game. So by that, like the most important line for me or the most consistent line for me or the most effective line for me is the Backland line, but because you don't count on them to be your primary offensive drivers, I get why people are a little hesitant to say that's the number one line on the team, even though it's the one that gets the most ice time more often than not. I agree with everything you said. I would just add on the caveat that the backland line gets the most five-on-five minutes, likely as a product of the fact that the other team's top line is going to generate the most minutes for the other side, and that's the matchup. It's the backland line versus whichever's the most scary offensive line on the other side. Yeah. And the opposing coach is going to roll out his best line as frequently as possible and maybe try and work away from that backland matchup a little bit by giving them so much ice time. But the luxury of the coach for the Calgary Flames, Ryan Huska, is he gets last change so he can effectively match up the backland line. Now, it skews a little bit differently on the road, and I don't have the home road splits for minutes played and all that. But typically, it's the backland line deployed against the other team's num- true number one line. And that true number one line is going to be playing north of 20 minutes a night. Um, I, I just I find the whole thing really interesting. And, and you know, sometimes if, if you're not having great nights from all of them, then the team's going to suffer because they aren't a team very often that one line can go out and win a right. game. Like maybe, bad example because they just lost to them, but maybe against the San Jose or a Chicago, a good line, a good night from one of those lines or two of those lines, you can win the day. But against a Boston on their game or an Edmonton on their game, you you need all three of those lines pretty close to optimal, and you need there to be very little between them if the Flames are, are going to have the type of success they want want to have and this might help your argument a little bit in terms of what is the de facto number one line for the Calgary Flames and take a shot every time I've said de facto so far today but I haven't used the term dialed yet today not yet but technically you now just have yes uh which can the Calgary Flames survive the most with line x not going if the backland line isn't going I don't like Calgary's chances at all whereas if the Sharon Govich line isn't going I still think the Calgary Flames can go. And if the Kadri line isn't going, but the Sharon Govich and Backlund one is, I still think they've got a shot at it. But if you're struggling with the Michael Backlund line in their matchup against the opposing team's top line, I don't know how much I like Calgary's chances of winning that game. So maybe that heightens the importance and strengthens the argument of the Backlund line being from the very raw perspective, the most important line for the Flames. Uh, a few texts. Uh, we, don't have to, we don't have to dive too 
too, too much more into it. I just – I. I Coming off the Winnipeg game, which was their best game in, in three or four, and, and the way that game played out, and the Backland line was the best line that day. I mean, the Backland line was the was the real pot stirrer against Winnipeg. If they don't go out and have that great shift at the end of the first period, shortly after Monaghan completed his natural hat trick, you know, the game probably doesn't go the way it did for the Flames. But, you know, that line goes out. They have a great 90-second or 60-second shift. They cycle, they cycle, they get it back once or twice, and then Manchapani finds Coleman on the back door and, and it's 3-2 and the Flames have all the momentum back and so many times this season, especially since that trio has been put back together you put them out there when you need something to happen when you need the flow of the game to switch back in your favor or you need a, a good shutdown shift or whatever the case may be so often, so often that's the line they threw out and or then, do throw out. And then, just because I don't feel like we're talking about Nazem Kadri's line enough, Kadri's the leading scorer on the team. So, from a production standpoint, Should his line has the most the productive I mean, so there's so many different ways at the end of the day to look at this. And to circle back to the original point is, yeah, Calgary is going to do this by depth. They're not going to do it by having one elite line and then hoping the other three lines can just break even the rest of the night. I, I, I am at this point going to default for the time being because now that I know that the coaching staff does really, like they juggle yeah. it up on a game-to-game basis, I thought that was quite interesting from uh, Ryan Huska. I'm going to default to Kadri being the number one center because he's the leading scorer. For me, um, I, I'm going to put that as the one line, and then I'll, I'll go Sharon Govich is the two, and Backland is the three. That's how I'm going to do it for the time being when I'm putting out the tweets on a on a daily basis or whatever the case may be. That's how I'm going to look at it. And, and the other interesting thing is 100% of the time, Hannafin and Tanev go first. They're the they're, so the, on the Flames internal depth chart that tells you that Hannafin and Tanev, which is somewhat interesting, uh, knowing how things are progressing here with a little more than two weeks to go from the trade deadline. But for me, no question that Hannafin and Tanev go first on that depth chart when it comes to uh, rolling it out. That's no disrespect to the other two, just based on how they get rolled out on morning-by-morning uh, morning or warm-up-by-warm-up basis. Those are the first two to always go. You know what? You bring up a valid point with both the defense, and I'm just going to go with whichever one the coach makes go do the drill first, or whichever one takes the first rep in warm-ups. I'm just going to play a game-by-game basis on this one yeah. because I think you can yeah. make legitimate arguments for all three with the backline line and the heavy lifting that they do being the most important. Nazem Kadri's line has the most productive player, and then the Sharon Govich line gets the most offensive zone start. Yeah. So. You can come at this a variety of ways. The other reason I brought this up and we're talking depth chart and we're doing is because uh, a guy on Twitter, Marcus on Twitter, was uh, in, in like as jesting and in okay. fun, but he was like, well, obviously Pat's putting them on top because uh, he's trying to boost their trade value. Hannafin <laughs> <laughs> and Tanev. Well, no. It's a conspiracy. No, I just have started paying more attention to that over the last little bit and at practice every time Hannafin Tanev go first, warm up every time Hannafin Tanev go first, and I know that that correlates to how things are posted in the locker room, so that's just the way that I try to go about things. I'll just post it in the order they skate. At the end of the day, though, would you go based on ice time because Rasmus Anderson's one, Hannafin two, Uyghur three, Tanev four. So the combination of Anderson Uyghur play more minutes than the combination of Hannafin Tanev. Now, what about it even strength? Yeah, see, I didn't have time to pull that one up Ooh. on the fly. We had this on the go, so you can beat it, sir. 
coming at you with that brick Wills he left on uh, his desk. Yeah, geez. Um, by the way, Hannafin's one. Tanev is four. Anderson and Weger are two, two and three. three and yeah. strength. So there you are. Again, does the number one pairing of the guy who leads the team in ice time? Or is it like, you know what I'm saying? And again, but that goes back to the same conversation. The Flames right now, and we know there's a trade coming, or, or we believe that trades are coming, rather. But it goes back to, as it stands right now, with the way the roster is, roster is constructed on February 22nd, it's very much a sum-of-the-parts type thing, too. There, again, is their strength. That top four on defense is so interchangeable that you can easily make a correct argument that Anderson and Uyghur is your number one pair. Now, do we get into the debate about who the number one goalie is? Because that one's a quick no, one. That no, one, that one's a little bit. No disrespect to, to number 80, but, um, yeah, I think we know who okay. the number one goalie is. Just checking. Uh, a few texts at 960, 960. This says, the best line, Kadri. Most important line, Backlund. Top offensive line, Sharon Govich. Regarding Hannafin and Tanev, uh, they're essentially wiping out the top pair by March 8th. Yeesh, it's going to be a bumpy finish to the year. I guess it all depends on what comes back in a trade. Is is there something yes, that can there, help stem that tide, right? Is there an NHL-ready defenseman coming back in either of those deals would be the question I have. Um, this says, um, <laughs> this uh, this from, I think this is from Marcus, um, says you're welcome for the topic for today's roundtable. Uh, oh, I don't think it was Marcus. It was the guy who was talking with Marcus. Marcus on Twitter, um, and he says, uh, I'm hoping my tweet reply was part of the reason you did it, but uh, I do know you talked about it a while back. No, absolutely, that is part of the reason why I'm talking about it today. Uh, Mike writes, it's pretty obvious to me that the number one line is the backland line. All lines are expected to check for this coach and system, and these guys are the best at it. They're not the most offensively gifted line, nor do they receive the top offensive deployment, but they're the most effective line on the team. Uh, this from Dustin and Royal Oak. I think for me, the top line's the line I can trust on the ice at any time. For me, that's Backlund's line. I guess can, just to counteract that one, Dustin and Royal Oak, if you're down a goal, which line do you want on the ice as well? Because I think you can do this a couple of different ways too, whether you're trying to protect the lead or you're down one or two chasing it. I think, again, you can use these lines and you can use sort of the definition of a number one line a little bit differently to come to different conclusions. Uh, this says they have the scoring line, uh, which uh, this texter is calling Charcuse-Bordeaux, the hyena or stir-the-drink line with Kadri, and the backbone line, which is any line with Backland on it. And this says uh, clearly the Kadri and Backland lines are 1A, 1B. It's just it's uh, everybody's got a slightly different answer to it. Um, and I just, that's fun. it's a fun little conversation to kick the hour off. Just looking at how – I, I guess the point of me bringing it up also, when talking about the way that you can write out the, the defense pairings, the point of me bringing it up is because it does show you exactly how the Flames need to have their success. And it's a tough way to play. When you, like, it is easier to play when you have one or two lines that can take over a game because it just, it, not, not to say it takes the onus off, but it's just like sometimes, as Nazem Kadri said Thursday morning, sometimes like it's an NHL 82-game season. There are going to be very few nights where everybody's feeling it, but because you have that one line, they can win a game single-handedly sometimes. It's a whole lot more difficult when you need to be that some-of-the-parts team on a nightly basis to have success. Yeah, and if you can have, for example, the backland line saw off against the other team's top line and you can have one of the Kadri line or the Sharon Govich line 
best the other team's number two line, then all of a sudden you're in a situation where maybe that third line, whichever it falls in the way you scheme up the one, two, three lines for the Calgary Flames, gives them an opportunity to take advantage of the matchup that's further yeah. down the uh, further down the depth chart, I guess you'd call it. Uh, this says, seems that when this team's connected uh, globally versus disconnected globally is significantly more important than the lines. They seem all on or all off. Notice Jonathan seems more like a leader now that Lindholm's gone. The fourth line seems to have an impact on this team. Almost the same impact of the dad's trip. How about the fourth line and its impact on the others? Well, that's allowed them to go out and roll four lines, right? And that's just allowed the other three lines to be in better stead. Yeah, there were a lot of games earlier in this season where you'd get to the third period and suddenly you'd be down to nine forwards or ten forwards and you just really started to tax the three lines that you do do have going. But suddenly you're in a situation now and I'll single out Kevin Rooney as well because he first over the boards on the penalty kill as well, eating up a lot of those Elias Lindholm PK special teams minutes. When you're able to distribute the minutes a little bit more evenly, it just means that you've got a little bit more in the tank to go. If you're going to play you know, a minute or two fewer, that just means you can empty the tank yeah. more frequently in order to try and generate something positive for the team. Uh, this hour of Flames Talks underway from the Scotiabank Saddledome. It is Aaron Vickers and Steinberg along with you from the Hot Stove Lounge. You know, and, and Ryan Husk has said a number of times, um, how, how many times has he been asked, whether it's on the road, whether it's here, about how's the group blocking out all the noise how is the group dealing with all the distractions it feels like he's asked it every second day i, I, I think he six might, months um yep pretty much like once a week every six months uh, for the last six months or so but every time he gets asked he always defaults to the same thing how important the leadership group has been in making sure that's the case he always goes michael backland and the group of leaders so captain michael backland and and this team's leadership group he credits with being able to kind of get the team to focus on singular goals and get the team to focus on what it needs to do and the task ahead and and that's kind of the way that they've been able to block out some of this noise. So I, I just, Michael was talking to us at the media. Uh, he was one of the designated guys to speak on Thursday morning. And I said, hey, like, you're the captain. What have you done? How have you gone about doing that? I think we just come in every day and um, just uh, go to work. Uh, excited to be here. Um, just uh, enjoying playing and being together. Um, yeah, just trying to focus on what's the task. Uh, if it's a practice or a game or whatever it can be or... Um, yeah, I think uh, that's been uh, something we worked, you know, something we talked about before. We want to come in here and make this a fun place to be, and uh, with high energy and guys are excited to come in every day. That uh, has seems to have worked on a more than more more often than not basis. Good on them because I, I can't imagine it would be easy to block out a lot of the distractions. And and you know, I think part of it is that. You know, Michael kind of lived through a similar decision and had to go through through some of it during the off season. So probably that helps a little bit too. That he was one of those guys going into the season that was being talked about. I wonder how observant he would have been, or if he reflects on this period at all. But the Calgary Flames went through something similar in 2013 in making the decision to move on from Jerome McGinley and Jay Bomeister and some mutual partings or however you want to look at it, but pending unrestricted free agents that were key figures. Now, 
I can't recall exactly what kind of position the Calgary Flames were in the standings at that point. I don't imagine they were this close to the playoffs when it happened. But I wonder if that's something that he can draw upon as well with the fact that you've seen the transition, you've seen situations where you don't know what your team looks like in a week or two and a half weeks from now. And it's the biggest cliche in sports, but you can only control what you can control. This is out of the players' hands. They have no real input or say into what the returns are, when guys are moved, where they're moved to. So the only thing that they can control is what they do in the 60 minutes that they hit the ice. And I think that might be one of the messages that Michael Backlund's delivering is, hey, there's a whole bunch of stuff externally that is just simply out of our hands. What is within our grasp is what we put out on the ice for 60 minutes. Yep, 100%. Um, and the final piece of uh, news that I think is encouraging from a Flame standpoint is just that uh, Jacob Pelche is getting closer. Skated for the first time uh, with a, an optional morning skate group on Thursday. That's the first time since the February 12th injury in New York. So the first time in 10 days that he's skated with the group. Uh, he's got an upper body injury that he's dealing with, but obviously nowhere near as major as the last one uh, because he maybe Saturday, maybe it's back for the road uh, when they're back from the road and they play L.A. on Tuesday, but Jacob Pelche knocking on the door for his return. He's only missed the three games. He'll miss his fourth game uh, against Boston here today on on this Thursday, but that's good news as well because, you know, that is something that I feel they've missed, especially on those nights where they were flat against Detroit and San Jose. One guy who's never flat, one guy that you never have to worry about not having it enthusiasm-wise is is Pelche. So I think having that will be a really nice uh, nice return to the lineup for the Flames. Yeah, he finds a way to impact the game, whether he's going or not, whether he's you know getting a lot of ice time or not just with the sheer energy and the vibe and the encouragement that he puts forth um, both when he's on the ice and on the bench I know I've said this before but I've never seen a guy that loves seeing somebody else score as much as he does because he just gets excited whenever a teammate happens to put one in the back of the net and that kind of attitude that kind of oomph is contagious whether it's on the bench or in the room or just on the five guys that are on the ice for the Calgary Flames so it's something that yeah while he may not be playing 20 minutes a night he still finds a way to impact the game positively for the Flames, and when he does return, it'll be a boost for the group. Uh, it is Steinberg and Vickers along with you this hour on Flames Talk. We're here at the Scotiabank Saddledome. We're here in the hot stove lounge, and uh, thanks to Cam and Shan back at Sportsnet 960 World Control. They're holding down the fort. They're in the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Wet basement, they have a lasting solution to keep your basement dry. If you experience any water in your basement, contact Basement Systems. They are all things basementy. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Flamestock is on the air and streaming on the Sportsnet mobile app. Sportsnet 960 The Fan, Calgary. Time now for a Thursday edition of your Daily Flames Roundtable brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The fastest growing segment of vehicles they sell is electric. Informed buyers are coming to see. Perhaps you should discover why. Minutes from the Calgary Airport. It's Steinberg, Aaron Vickers of NHL.com. Now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, joins us to complete our Daily Flames roundtable. Um, you know, Willsy, a little earlier this hour, Vickers and I revisited that chat. You and uh, you, Wes, and I had a couple of weeks ago about who the number one line is on this team. And you know, we basically came to the same conclusion. They don't really have one. There really isn't a number one line. It kind of stemmed from what Ryan Huska told us in here in the hot stove lounge a little earlier on this Thursday. And so I, I, 
I, we, we had the conversation. We kind of came to the same conclusion again that yeah, you know, the most important line is still the backland line and, and just how much they impact every facet of the game. And, gents, with the way that line is played since they were put back together a few months ago and with the way that line is played since we've seen them together going back to last year, like short of a trade or short of an injury, uh, are we all on the same page? Like you're, you're never breaking this trio up again? Um, I mean, I'd never say never, but I'd also say if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And clearly it ain't broke and, and really has never been broke. Uh, those three guys have worked really well together pretty much from the get-go. And, yeah, there's no doubt they're the Flames' best 200-foot line. Are they the most important line? Are they the best line? Uh, probably depends on the game. But uh, I would say they've been consistently the team's best 200-foot line for two seasons now. I would have no reason to break them up right now. Uh, obviously, if there was an injury or one of them got traded, then you wouldn't have a choice. The only thing I wonder about, the Flames have already started to go in a direction of getting younger. And I do wonder if at, at some point in time, if they maybe move some forwards out, which I'm not expecting a bunch of forwards to get traded between now and March 8th, but if, if not they out did of the question, right? and trade some forwards, right? Uh, maybe you'd want to spread the wealth a little bit because Michael Backlund is a player who has proven throughout the course of his career, especially in the back half, that he helps elevate players, especially young players. And I would say he also elevates older players, like Blake Coleman, who uh, has had a career year, and Andrew Majapani, who's looked way better since being reunited with those two guys. Uh, I don't think there's any reason for the Flames to break up that line right now, and I certainly wouldn't touch it unless things really changed dramatically with their forward group and right. they felt like they had to split those three guys up. Yeah, I'm sort of of the same thought as you, Will Z, where you just look at the metrics for that line over this season, last season. It's just whenever they're together, they're automatically a good line. And for whatever reason, if you want to chalk it up to chemistry, playing style, what have you. But a 57.1 expected goals, four percentage this season, a 55.5% Corsi four percentage. 39% offensive zone start. So they're doing all this despite the fact, and you alluded, well, you didn't allude to it. You said it flat out, Wilsey, and I agree. They're the best 200-foot line the Calgary Flames have. They're the group that can just simply take the defensive zone starts, take the heavy matchups, and still come out with a positive on things as well. Uh, it, unless the roster changes significantly to the point where you need to, as you said, balance things out a little bit yeah. and maybe spread Backlund and Coleman and Mangiapane to separate lines, I keep this trio going together. Yeah. Those stats, of course, coming from Money Puck and Natural Stat Trick. So over at Natural Stat Trick, their expected goals is uh, up over 56% in the, uh, at 5-on-5 five five in the 316 minutes they've played together. Um, th as you mentioned, 30, just over 38% on their defensive-offensive zone uh, ratio. So almost 65% uh, of the time they're starting in their own end, um, uh, well over 55 5% uh, shot rate, possession rate, Corsi rate, whatever you want to call it. It's just like I, I, the, the way you put it, Wills, he's perfect. If it's if it ain't broke, don't fix it. If all of a sudden it goes sour, then sure. But but what would lead us to believe that is ever going to happen? And that is all said with the caveat of 
for now because you're right. Like it is such a weird purgatory that we're we're kind of talking about right now when it comes to this team. We're trying to stay in the moment and talk about a big game against Winnipeg or a big game against Boston or whatever the case may be. And yet we all know that there could be change coming and that we've seen change throughout the years. So it's it's kind of it frames every conversation with yeah for now, but so for now. I think that there's no reason why they should ever think about breaking that trio up. Even in games where they have juggled lines lately, guys, that's been the one trio that stayed together because you just know it works. And when you're in a situation where you need something to happen or you're in a situation where you need a game to be settled down or somebody needs to be shut down or quieted on the other side, you just know what trio you're sending out there. So, yeah, I mean, for now, yeah, you're not breaking them up but if things change which they could yeah it obviously changes the conversation for sure well and michael backland has been consistently good all season and blake coleman has been consistently really good all season you know who hasn't been andrew majapani mm-hmm. he's had like the team a lot of ups and downs and for me fellas he has played by far his best hockey since being reunited with those two guys, which I think says a lot about Backlund and Coleman and, and how they can elevate uh, the left winger on that line. So uh, I wouldn't touch that line. But then again, I wouldn't touch the Kadri and the kids line either. And I know that Ryan Huska broke them up very briefly uh, for a period a couple or whatever of games it was. ago. But yeah. yeah, I just I think Nazem Kadri, Connor Zeri, and Martin Pospisil, much like Michael Backlund, Andrew Majapani, and Blake Coleman, they just complement each other so well. So really, there's only one line in the top nine that I would touch. And I do think that they've got the right three guys on that line right now with Diego Sharangovich between Jonathan Huberto and Andre Kuzmenko. And we have a, a much smaller sample size to work with those three guys. They've had some good games together. They've had some not so good games together. So that's the only line in the top nine I would touch. And uh, talking about top nine guys, I wouldn't want to play any of the guys currently in the Flames top nine on the fourth line. So you've got... Uh, two of your three lines in the top nine that are fairly untouchable for me, uh, which doesn't really uh, give you much uh, wiggle room there as far as mixing things up. Yeah, the backland line to me is set and forget, and I'm kind of glad you brought up the uh, cadre line there, Wilsey, because in my mind I was going, ooh, which which line might you tinker with first because the quote-unquote cadre in the kids line has been to that point where just – put them out there and, and don't worry about them because a lot of those metrics that we just hyped for yeah. the Backland, Coleman, Mangiapane trio are just as good for that cadre grouping as well. Well, and it's like, as, as we wrap this part of it up, but, you know, the if you go back to the Winnipeg game, yes, for the first period, three lines were kind of juggled up, or I guess it was only the two lines. Uh, they, they, they swapped some personnel. But then when they normalized for the final 40 minutes of play, Kadri line stayed together, Backland line stayed together, and then there was a swap on the two lines that have been a little bit more in flux or a little less consistent when Kuzmenko and Hunt swapped spots, and, and they'll be back to their normal spots to start Thursday's game against Boston. I just it, it, it really does speak to just how consistent both the Kadri line and the Backland lines have been this season. It's our Daily Flames Roundtable. Derek Wills, Aaron Vickers, Pat Steinberg on this Thursday. Gents, Friday is the two-week countdown to deadline day 2024. 
I'm, I'm not even I'm not I'm not asking to uh, I'm, not, I'm not asking you to project or predict or anything like that. It's when I ask this question, it's more just like. How are you feeling about the group? How are you feeling about the way things could go? How are you feeling about the way this season might end and how everything might transpire now that we're into that window? Guys, how are we feeling about this next two weeks and how it's going to play out for the Flames? Uh, On the ice or off the ice? Either or. Both. Or both. Yeah. Yeah, I guess uh, both is probably uh, the discussion we should have. On the ice depends largely on what happens off the ice for me. I think we're all waiting for the next domino to fall or shoe to drop. And I think that includes the players and the coaches <laughs> as the managers try to figure out what they're going to do between now and March 8th. But uh, on the ice, as the team is currently constructed, and I talked to Jonathan Huberto about this earlier on Thursday, I still think the Flames are the best of the bunch when it comes to the big group of teams fighting for the second wildcard spot in the Western Conference. So as long as this team stays intact, and I don't expect it to beyond March 8th, but we don't know when guys are going to get traded, then I think the Flames are going to be competitive night in, night out. And, yeah, they're going to be Jekyll and Hyde because that's what they've been all season. You look at the last 16 games, four straight wins, four straight losses, four straight wins, three straight losses, and then that big 6-3 come from behind victory over the Jets on Monday. So they've been up and down like a yo-yo. Uh, if they're going to stay in the fight for a playoff spot, they're going to have to be better at home. They're going to have to be more consistent. So we'll see if they can do that as long as this team is intact. But uh, I'm also expecting some significant changes between now and the NHL trade deadline. I would be stunned if yeah. Noah Hannafin and Chris Tanev weren't traded. Okay, so let's just presume they're going to be dealt. What do they get back? Uh, do they make similar trades to the ones they made with the Devils for Tyler Toffoli and the Canucks for Elias Lindholm? If so, and you're getting NHL players plus potentially picks and prospects back, mm-hmm. then I think the Flames can stay competitive. But if those deals are futures, then I think it's going to be way more difficult for them to do that. And there seems to be a little bit more buzz around Jacob Markstrom's name today than there was yesterday. And I know that uh, David Panyota put it out there, the deal between the Flames and the Devils isn't dead. So if you trade your number one goaltender, a guy who has by many metrics been one of the top two or three goalies in the league this season, that changes things dramatically. With all due respect to Dan Vladar and Dustin Wolf, Jacob Markstrom is playing some of the best hockey of his life and some of the best hockey in the league right now. And what would you get back for him? The one name I keep hearing is Alexander Holtz, and I know he was a seventh overall pick, but everything I've heard and read about the guy is that people think he's going to be a middle six forward with second-line potential. Is that enough for Jacob Markstrom? I know I wouldn't pull the trigger if that was a one-for-one trade. So, And I guys, don't think it would uh, be either. I, I, don't no, I don't think that think so would either. be. But, yes, I hear what you're saying. Things are, yeah, things are really up in the air. Uh, there are going to be trades. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Are we going to be surprised by who gets dealt, or I guess who doesn't get dealt, but I, I'm still convinced Hannafin and Tanev will be traded. But is there someone who we're not talking about who could mm-hmm. potentially be on the way out? So who knows? Uh, it's going to be interesting. I know that. I was going to say off the ice, things might be a little tense, but I wonder how resigned to the fact that change is coming, the guys in that locker room 
um, are at this point because it's been a it's been a talking point for six months. Maybe if you want to go back even like 10 or 11 months to when Craig Conroy was hired and said, hey, we can't have this situation with this many pending unrestricted free agents. I don't know about you guys, but for me, I'm kind of on high alert watching uh, who's coming out of the tunnel in warm-ups, who's skating late to see if uh, a perceived scratch might be not putting in as much work as they normally do because they might need to stay fresh. Um, all these sorts of things. On the ice, the Flames have done a good job of just continuing on with all this noise, with all these changes. Uh, they didn't skip a beat when Elias Lindholm, the number one center, was moved out. And I wonder if it's, and it was a little bit of a talking point this morning in the room, but the pack of hyenas mentality, the, the sort of quasi-running joke that's going on through the room right now, I wonder if that's something that can push forward, regardless of who's in the room and what the name bars say on the back, if they can just continue to find a way if Jacob Markstrom is still a member of the Calgary Flames, to stick around in this fight. And to your point, Wilsey, again, yeah, what are they able to bring back in these yeah. trades that we all expect? Is this a Calgary Flames team that can be in the conversation come April? Long story short, I really get the sense that, you know, it's going to be interesting, to say the least, as to what the Calgary Flames look like in two and a half weeks and what they're able to continue doing on the ice. You know, the the way that I feel about it is I just feel like this is just me personally and and I um like the anything anything that happens doesn't affect me in terms of my family life doesn't affect me in terms of uh my personal life like it, while it does I keep going back to Rasmus Anderson who said it so many times like we're, Rasmus knows he makes more money than many 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 people but like Again, your bank account doesn't change the fact that you're still a person. Like, we're humans too. And and this does have an impact on them. And so even me, who it doesn't have that same impact on, I'm you know the best word that I would say how I'm feeling? I'm feeling very unsettled about it. Because yeah. I, I I I know they're going to do things. We know it, but Vic's just used the term high alert. I'm like on high alert at all times, watching phones, seeing if that text is going to be somebody notifying me of something or uh, put it, if it's going to be a, a link to a tweet of somebody suggesting something else might be happening, all that type of stuff. You're on high alert. You're unsettled. And it's just – and I think that's the way and, – and maybe this is not me, but I get the sense that a lot of Flames fans are also just – impatient and and not in like a bad way but just like everybody just wants to see how it plays out and good on Craig Conroy for not being that I word because he needs to be patient he needs to be able to wait it out until he hits his targets but I get the sense that a lot of Flames fans are impatient and I think everybody management coaching staff locker room media fans every it i, I think it's unsettled for everybody because everybody just wants to know are they going to be futures only trades are they going to be trades that that kind of hit both pools and you get a little right now and you get some futures you know like everybody wants to see what this is going to play out willsey to your question are there more names that we haven't talked about as much that end up moving and does jacob end up moving which is going to be the most important one i think we're all in uh in agreement there that that's the one that is truly going to define most how the rest of the season goes long story short i think unsettled is the best way that i can put it 
Yeah, and uh, I feel the same way, Pat. I know that uh, if I'm away from my phone for more than five minutes, I feel like i got to scramble to get back to it just to yeah. make sure that I haven't missed something. Taking your phone uh, in the shower, and you're just like, like yeah, you're always, i got to have it close, right? Yeah, well, thank God these uh, new iPhones are waterproof, uh, so you can take it in the shower if, uh, if you want to. I don't do that, but um, I'm sure there are no, some no, fans, me neither. Uh, or members of the media that uh, do, so... Uh, it's interesting because I really like the, the trades that Craig Conroy made for Tyler Toffoli getting Yegor Sharon Govich and a third-round pick back. So that's a little bit for today and a little bit for tomorrow. And, and then the trade that he made uh, for Elias Lindholm, getting um, a guy back who's not in the age range they're necessarily looking for, but uh, I think a good gamble And Andre Kuzmenko, whether you keep him or flip him, uh, gives you some options, but you also get two picks and two prospects back so again a little bit for today a little bit for tomorrow and uh, everything i've heard uh, leads me to believe that those are the types of trades the flames want to make when it comes to noah hannafin and chris mm-hmm. tanev so we'll see if they're able to, to make the types of deals that they want to i would be surprised if they didn't make those types of trades so it's really interesting because obviously the the management group is trying to reshape this team you know keep them competitive from game to game uh, and hopefully in the race for a playoff spot this season, but then get younger. So you, you bring guys in who can continue to grow uh, and you grow together as a team. And hopefully two, three years from now, you're not just contending for a playoff spot. You're contending for a Stanley Cup. So uh, it's it's nervous times uh, around Scotiabank Saddledome. There's no doubt about that. But I would say exciting times as well. And I'm not going to lie, fellas. Uh, part of me wonders if Noah Hannafin's going to come out of the Flames Tunnel or the Bruins Tunnel <laughs> for warm-ups tonight. And, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, kind of, but only half-joking. I mean, the, the Bruins are dealing with some injuries in their blue line right now. Hampus Lindholm is out. They lose Matt Grizzlick last night. They played most of the game with five defensemen. Uh, they were already linked to Noah Hannafin, who's a Boston native, before those two injuries. Now, how desperate are they to make a move to, to bring in a top-four defenseman? Uh, so... And, and I reached out to a member of the the media that covers the Bruins on a daily basis. I'm not going to name names, but I reached out earlier today. And I, again, half-jokingly said, hey, I wonder if uh, Anafin might walk down the hallway uh, prior to or during or after tonight's game. And the response was, and I quote, it wouldn't shock me. So we're all on high alert. That continues. <laughs> only, only two more weeks of that. We know that. Thank you, Wellesley. Appreciate it, pal. Okay, see you soon. Uh, Derek Wills, Aaron Vickers, Pat Steinberg. That'll wrap us up on this Thursday edition of your Daily Flames Roundtable as we start to wrap things up this hour. Vickers on Twitter at AA Vickers. Thanks to our outstanding producers, Shan Vergie, Cam Hughes, back at Sportsnet 960 World Control. And our Daily Flames Roundtable is brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The fastest-growing segment of vehicles they sell is electric. Informed buyers are coming to see. Perhaps you should discover why. Minutes from the Calgary Airport.